Let's pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we pray that you might speak to us today in your word. Please help us to see our own hearts. Help us to see our sin and where you'd want us to change. Help us to see Jesus and help us to be like him. So may I speak your word uh, with faithfulness and with clarity. Please, Father, by your spirit, I plant it in our hearts and our minds. Uh, For the glory of your name, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you're anything like me, sometimes we can desire the praise of others or to please others and be a people pleaser. I mean, we all want to be liked and loved, don't we? Maybe we want others to feel we are significant and maybe we want that so that we can begin to feel significant about ourselves or feel significant ourselves. We seek the praise and affirmation of others when it comes to grades at school or uni, when it comes to our achievements at work, the jobs we do around the house or anything that we've made an effort in. Maybe we also want to give, but maybe we on our name mentioned too. Maybe you don't want to be up on stage with everyone applauding you, but maybe you just want that one person to notice. Maybe you want that one person to notice what you did. Too often we want others to notice us, and it's this desire that Jesus rebukes today. His words cut to our hearts and penetrate to the longings of our souls. So in the Sermon on the Mount, we've been thinking about true righteousness. We've heard that if we're right with God by faith, then true righteousness will be shown from the heart. A God-pleasing life starts in the heart. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we treat and love others. And in chapter 6 now, Jesus moves from talking about loving enemies to say that righteousness also concerns practices like giving and praying and fasting. These are the three chief acts of Jewish religious piety. If you look at the end of chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus had just demanded nothing less than perfection. He's, and Jesus, is, having said that, is fully aware of our heart's tendency to self-deception and... So he gives us a strong warning. So he says at the end of the chapter 8, strive to be perfect. But then he's now saying, be careful that you don't do it for the wrong reasons. Don't let the goal of pleasing your heavenly father be traded for its pygmy cousin, the goal of pleasing people. Jesus says that people do things to be seen, yet we ought to do them for the unseen God who will reward us. Those repeated words in the passage that are up on the screen and in your outline, these repeated words highlight uh, that this is the main point from this text. And the same pattern is followed for each practice, and so we're going to look at those, beginning firstly with seen what is seen. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness, your good deeds, before others to be seen by them. And if you compare that with chapter 5 verse 16 that we looked at earlier, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds 
and praise your Father in heaven. At first it may seem a contradiction. Don't do things to be seen, whereas earlier do things to be seen. But Jesus is not contradicting himself. As he said there in chapter 5, those good deeds were actually done to bring glory and praise to God. And now chapter 6 is about not doing things in order to be seen and praised by others. Verse 2, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets to be honoured by others. This means that being generous is not enough. Everyone agrees that giving to the poor is a good thing, but what drives it matters. The question is not so much what the hand is doing, us giving that money, but, but what we're thinking while we do it. In Jerusalem, trumpets might possibly have sounded at the temple calling people to contribute to some particular urgent need. And if I live and work in Jerusalem and the trumpet sounds and I shut up shop and rush down the streets, everyone knows where I'm going. And the pace I walk at shows not only where I'm going, but my zeal and my passion. But let's not be too quick to point the finger at the Jews or the Pharisees for where do we like to blow our own trumpets, metaphorically speaking, or have our ego boosted? Our trumpets may be metaphorical, but philanthropists can still boast in how much they give. And maybe our giving is less concerned with loving others and praising God compared to earning a reputation for being generous or godly. So whether we're giving to others or to the church or to charities, whether we do that giving as a company, the company that we own, or whether it's us personally, privately, if we do it for show, we're hypocrites, says Jesus. A hypocrite is someone who acts one way when others are watching and you behave a different way way when no one else is around. A hypocrite wants everyone to think, a religious hypocrite, wants everyone to think they're good and that they love God, but inside they really just love themselves. And sometimes we can even be unaware that we serve our own interests. A hypocrite is an actor, consciously or unconsciously, and here it is about giving in order to be honoured and seen by others. And it's scary that that can be us. Play, acting, giving now moves to play, acting, praying. Verse 5, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. A little bit like here in, in our church, in synagogue services, prayer was led by a man standing up the front of the congregation and he could easily succumb to the temptation to pray up to the congregation. So you, when you pray, you use the acceptable cliches, you use the right sentiments, you pray with the right tone, the right fervency. All, all of these things can become tools to win others' approval or you can even pray to better the person who prayed last week. Last time. So perhaps prayer can become a way to compete. At public fasts, a trumpet would announce prayer time. 
And right there in the streets, a person could turn and face the temple and offer their prayer. At the Jews' set prayer times, three times a day, they, if the trumpet blew, they would just stop where they were and pray. And if you happen to be on the street when prayer time comes, then so be it, that's okay. But if you plan to be there so that you can be seen by others when you pray, then, then that's an issue. That sort of prayer is from people who love themselves and for them prayer has become an opportunity to parade themselves. Again, I think we shouldn't be too hard on the Jews before we take a look at ourselves. Let's be people who take the log or the plank out of our own eye before we try to find a speck in another's. I wonder if we've been asked to pray or preach or read the Bible from up the front in the service or when we teach or pray in our growth group or when you share your testimony. Many can be tempted in this area. A Russian author once wrote, I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it's terrible. When you see the terrible state of your own heart and you see your need for a saviour, please don't remain in that state. Don't remain in self-pity, but rely on Christ in faith and trust for real forgiveness. The children's Bible, the Gospel Story Bible, puts it like this when talking about our passage. And, and the Gospel Story Bible is not just good for kids, adults. It's great for us to read too. That says, Jesus taught these things because it's easy to pretend to be good on the outside when really on the inside we are sinful. The only way to cover up our sin is to cover it with the blood of Jesus who died on the cross to take away our sin. For when we trust in Jesus, he covers our sin with his perfect record of obedience. Then he changes our desire to impress others into a desire to live for God on the inside and the outside. And I think the way God forgives us and the way God changes us is really good news for you and for me. Next, Jesus says in verse 16, When you fast, do not look sombre or gloomy as the hypocrites do, for they love to disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Fasting is about abstaining from food. Now, if you're, uh, say, a teenager or a young adult who loves to, is a gamer and you love to play video games, Fasting is not you playing your game so much that you've missed dinner. Okay, that, That's not what Jesus is talking about. In the Jewish calendar, there were certain special fasts that everybody participated in, like the Day of Atonement. And in fact, the Day of Atonement was the only regular fast commanded in Scripture. They would Fast would be proclaimed for other urgent needs, like when Queen Esther are called for fasting in response to her going to approach King Xerxes. And individuals, they would fast at other times too. The Pharisees, they fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And these had become occasions for pompous self-righteousness as they went around with gloomy faces. 
Some Pharisees would even go around unwashed, but purposely put on old clothes that they torn with ashes on their head, all to communicate to others around them that they were fasting. Maybe that's not us. But I wonder if it's like us wearing nice clothes on Sunday. Wearing nice clothes on a Sunday at church, it was once a sign of respect and reverence for the Lord, but before long it seemed the quality of the clothes became more important than the reverence, and pretty soon people were competing to look better than others. One author says, no, man, no wonder many youths finally rejected every trace of this clothes contest and started to wear jeans to church. Our times have changed. Many of them would have done so for unworthy motives. Like their parents' motives for dressing up were equally unworthy. I think you can take pride in the way you dress, whether you're dressed up for church or whether you've come casually dressed. Almost anything that is supposed to serve as an outward sign of an inward attitude can be cheapened by hypocritical piety and a desire to be seen by others, and doing it to be seen. But Jesus says, do it when unseen. The question in verse 2 is not whether you give to the poor, but how. And the way that pleases Christ is, he says, don't let what one hand know what the other hand is doing. Now, if you think about it, that's not literally possible. You know, we can't close our eyes when we write a check or when we donate online. But the point is, don't keep track when you give. Don't give yourself points. Don't congratulate yourself and think, yeah, I gave generously. I'm a really generous person. Don't turn an act of mercy into an act of vanity. Verse 4, rather, Jesus says, keep giving private and, and quiet. And, and that's why I think we have offering bags here so that our giving is unseen by others and it's anonymous. And despite what some churches and organisations do, we aren't announcing, we aren't going to announce large gifts or large givers or give certain people public praise. We do it for the Lord, not for the self-congratulation. We are to give for the Lord, not for self-congratulation or others' commendation. Sometimes our acts of righteousness our good deeds, our giving, it will be seen by others, but that's not the issue. It's whether we do it for that reason. So please give to meet a need. Offer it in love and offer it with gratitude to your Heavenly Father who has given you all that you have. And when you pray, verse 6, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Some have understood this to mean there should be no public prayers, no praying in groups with others. But that's foolish, surely, because Jesus and his disciples, and we see in the book of Acts that Jesus and his followers, they prayed with others. They prayed publicly as a group. And you can hardly pray, Our Father, in verse 9, if you're only saying that alone. Jesus here is not condemning public prayers but he's condemning the desire to be seen by others in our praying. He says, so go into your room, 
Literally, the word is your inner room, where people can, where people can't see you, presumably because there's no windows or holes. Point is, others can't see you, but God does. And I think of. Uh, so we'll have the next slide up with the war room, please. I think of Miss Clara. Miss Clara in the war room. She's praying in her closet. Uh, not that you have to clear out your clothes and pray in some room that doesn't have windows. Again, let's not misunderstand the point. But our prayers should be focused on God and rather than with us having side glances to think about who's listening or who's impressed. What we should be doing is asking ourselves questions like, do, do I love my private times of prayer? Do I love praying alone? Do I pray more frequently and fervently when I'm alone more than, I, than when I pray with others? Does my personal prayer life, is that a priority for me? And when I am praying with others, am I so busy scratching around in my mind to try and find the right words that I've actually forgotten who it is that I pray to? I'm not really focusing my attention on God anymore. It's about getting the right words. And when you pray, don't babble like the pagans. Some thought that by repeating their prayers over and over, their gods would hear them. This repetition is, re, uh, is found in some New Age and Buddhist meditation. I think you see it in a Roman Catholic praying the rosary. And yet with our own mealtimes, how many of our prayers saying grace are just words that are repeated thoughtlessly? Our heart, our mind, and our lips, our speaking, that's to be connected. They need to be engaged it's not that we should never repeat our words. But this is a rebuke if we just pray the same prayers with the same words over and over without thought. It is okay to repeat our prayers and to ask God for the same thing, but, but don't think that by repeating it that God will hear you in a way he didn't before. You see, Jesus is not really concerned with the length of our prayers, but with the attitude of our hearts. See, right living starts in the heart, a heart that's been changed by God's grace. In verse 8, Jesus wants to assure us that when we pray, remember that we have a heavenly Father who knows what we need. And amazingly, he knows what we need before we even ask him. And so because our Father knows what we need before we ask, we can ask with confidence, we can ask with faith. From the Lord's Prayer, if you look at that, he knows that we need daily food, material things. He knows we need forgiveness, indeed grace to forgive others. And he knows that we'll be able to forgive others when we have experienced his forgiveness ourselves through faith in Christ. He knows that we need strength to resist temptation and the evil one. But we're still to ask for these things. And we're always to ask for these and other things, seeking and trusting that God's will will be done. And we're to ask for them, seeking, desiring that his name would be glorified, that his name would be hallowed. That means everyone would know that our God is holy and set apart above everyone and everything else. It's about seeking God's glory and his will being done. Really, the Lord's Prayer needs several sermons, but that must wait for another day.
When it comes to unseen fasting, verse 17, Jesus says, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it would not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who's unseen. Just as Jesus did not speak against giving and praying, he assumes his disciples will fast. Now later on in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 9, he defends his disciples for not fasting while he is still with them. The question is, well, without making a show of it, should Christians, us today, fast? Now, I want to say it's not a sin to eat red meat on a Good Friday. Fasting has been abused in church history with fasts commanded and certain promises made. But in the Old Testament and the New, we see many believers fasted, from Moses and David and Daniel through to Jesus, the Apostle Paul, and the church in the book of Acts. And yet unlike giving and praying, forgiving and praying, Scripture never commands Christians to fast. It's often practised. It's never prescribed for us. So it's always to be a voluntary activity, only done with right motives. So when you're convicted of a sin in your own life and you're moved to repent of it, turn from it, it is appropriate to mourn and weep, even fast and pray. Or when we seek God's mercy for a particular need, fasting can express our humility and our dependence on God for that need and everything. Others fast to uh, help grow self-control or some others, people fast as an opportunity to share the cost that they would have spent on that meal uh, with others, with the poor. And if we seek God's guidance for a particular matter uh, or a big matter, skipping a few meals might be a small price to pay so that we can spend more time in the word and in prayer like the church in Antioch did in Acts chapter 13 verse 2. So you can pray without fasting, which is my normal practice, praying without fasting. But biblically speaking, you cannot fast without praying. So if and when you fast, do it with prayer and with a right heart attitude. Don't presume that it'll make you more spiritual. Don't presume that it's going to make it more likely for God to answer you. You don't twist God's arm by going hungry. And take off the sad face. Applying what Jesus says to us, have a shower, do your hair, act normally. Don't tell others that you're fasting. Don't promote yourself or your righteousness. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Rewards are mentioned repeatedly. And Jesus says, he said, if, if people give to be seen, or they pray to be seen, or they fast to be seen, they've received their reward in full. They, in other words, they get what they get what they're after, people's approval, and that's all they'll get. And I find this sobering sometimes because to be out the front praying or teaching or preaching publicly, it's a, it is a danger because it can go to your head. Or you could become, you can become a people pleaser. Please pray for us. 
And yet for all of us, whether we're giving, uh, even if you're giving all your money to the poor, if you're someone who prays passionately, you do much good for others, it's still possible to do those things and have no ultimate reward. Because it's possible to do those things for yourself or for others rather than for God or with the right motive. And it's also possible to do those things, those religious activities, to try and earn God's favour. Sadly, I wonder how many people go to church regularly and convince themselves that they're saved and they're Christian because of their religious activities. So please don't deceive yourself into thinking that you're a Christian because you act religious. Deceive yourself into thinking you're a Christian because you, you pray every day or you're at church every Sunday. It's not what makes you a Christian. It's not what saves you. And if you're an attitude when you do those things, which are good things, if you're convicted that your attitude or your desires have been wrong, then please remember that if you turn from those things, if you turn away from having that attitude and you turn back to God, with him there is grace. With him there is forgiveness. With him there is the power to change. With him there's a fresh start. But when we think of rewards, maybe we think of prize giving at school. Um, so when Jesus says in verse 4, if we give when unseen, verse 4, then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And in verse 6 and verse 18, he says again that God sees what we do in secret when we're unseen and it will be rewarded. But we need to be careful with the idea of reward. Because maybe we misunderstand. I think we can misunderstand what Jesus is talking about here. Maybe you're just graduating this year from grade 6 or year 12. Maybe you have or you will get a top prize in maths or running or athletics. And so maybe when we read reward, we think prize giving at school and you've got those gleaming golden trophies up on the platform table and everyone clapping for us. It won't be like that. We're not to think that we can earn heaven as a reward or, and we're not to think that we should do good deeds just to get rewarded. And yet still the Bible does speak of heavenly rewards. And from the parable of the talents or the bags of gold in Matthew 25, on judgment day Jesus will say to some, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. And to hear that said, if I hear that said to me on that last day, well done, good and faithful servant, that will do me. That will be enough. But Jesus also says to the, that servant, come and share your master's happiness. And friends, that's just it. Our heavenly rewards are about us finding our, our happiness, our joy in God, in God himself. And I don't think you could go home, if you're a believer, this afternoon and read Revelation chapter 21 and think about this future that we will experience where we'll have no sadness, no sickness, no dying, no pain, and instead only gold and glory and God. I don't think we can think about those things and not anticipate the joy that is to come. Do so you see, it's not about ribbons or medals. 
but actually receiving God himself. And being with God and enjoying his presence forever, there's no greater reward than that. Our God who is the giver surpasses every gift. And so even if we hear on that last day, well done, good and faithful servant, we will be giving God the glory for every good thing we did because we did it in his strength. And God's praise and glory, I hope that will be your reward as it is mine. And if you read Revelation chapter 4 and you, you read of or you remember the, the elders that are given this crown and they place it or cast it before God's throne, maybe that will be us too. May we look forward to doing the same, casting our crowns before him. So this reward has nothing to do with our merits. It's all about the character of our generous God and us experiencing joy forevermore in his presence. And so as God's saved people, let's do good and live God's way. Let's live like Jesus. To receive God's smile, yes, but to look forward to this future of finding our incomparable joy in God himself. It's no better reward. I ask finally, what now? What now for you? And I ask, how is your giving going? Are you a generous giver when it comes to your finances and with, to your time and your energy? I hope that you will give to the needy and I hope that you'll do it with a godly heart motivation. And may God's generosity to you in Christ, in God giving up his only son, may that inspire you and I to give generously. With open hands, not in closed fists. And be encouraged to pray privately to your unseen father who sees you. But I think we can all go through times when prayer becomes a maybe a duty or this ritual that we feel we have to do. And if that's us at the moment, if that's you, then remember that God is with you. He's with you in that unseen place when you're praying, even when no one else knows it. So remember who it is you pray to and remember what God has done for you in Jesus. And I think you and I will see that it's a great privilege to pray to this Father our Lord and Saviour. Or maybe when you're next convicted of your sin or when you're in re real need, maybe you could fast and pray. Or maybe you could fast from something else. Maybe that's TV for a day or screen time or social media for a day. Yes, I know that's a radical thought for some of us. But maybe you could fast from and stop something else so that you can devote more time to spending time in God's word and in prayer. So be like Jesus. Do good, not to please and impress others, but to please God. However, honestly, maybe you don't want to do any of this. Maybe coming to church is a show Maybe you just come because your parents make you. 
And maybe the rest of the week, maybe you don't do good to get other people's approval. So you won't go to church on a Sunday if your friends are heading somewhere better on a Sunday morning or going out for the day, you join them. Maybe you won't pray in front of them and give thanks before you eat your lunch or you'll pray and you won't shut your eyes because you don't want people to notice you're praying. Maybe you don't want people to know you're actually committed to Christ. Maybe you'll forget about doing what's good. It's not a priority for you. You'll go along with the crowd and you'll give in to peer pressure. If that's you, then I want to say Jesus' words to you here today still speak to you because you're living to please others and not your God. And you too need to repent. It means you need to stop, do a U-turn and live differently. Turn back to God. You see, all of us are being watched in the way we live. The question is which audience matters most to you? People are watching you, which audience matters most? Is it those around you or is it your Lord? How does God want you to change? How does God want you to change what you do or why you do it? I love the words to this Stephen Curtis Chapman song, Much of You, and I close with some words from the song. This is your love, O God, not to make much of me, but to send your own Son so that we could make much of you for all eternity. I want to make much of you, Jesus. I want to make much of your love. I want to live today to give you the praise that you alone are so worthy of. I want to make much of your mercy. I want to make much of your cross. I give you my life. Take it and let it be used to make much of you. Let's pray now that we will. Our Father in heaven, we confess there are times in our lives when the opinions of others matter more to us than what you think. And we confess that sometimes we do things to be seen by others, to impress others. Sometimes we do the wrong things. Sometimes we do good things for the wrong reasons. We pray, God, that by your Spirit you'd use this word from you that we've heard today and that you would change us from the inside out. Please help us to trust in Jesus for real and full and forever forgiveness. And Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would make us more like Christ. Help us to do good, seeking the good of others. And Lord, we pray that we would do it for the glory of your name. We ask this in Christ's name, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.